Welcome to Gospel Perspectives on World History, and I'm your host, Michael Stone. Thank you for joining us as we begin looking at the secular history of the world through the lens of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, again, while this podcast is primarily geared toward members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, anyone who has an interest in topics of faith and history are welcome to join us. And as an important legal notice, while I do intend to center what I share as much as possible on the verified details of the historical record and on ancient and modern scripture approved by the church, I do want to stress that the views I share here do not necessarily represent official doctrine, policy, or the views of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that I take full responsibility for the content and programming of this podcast. So, last time, we opened up with a brief survey of human origins, and we'll now take a look at the next portion of history, which, although it lasts for well over a million years, we still know incredibly little about this time. But what historians and anthropologists have discovered might shock you, especially in how well modern revelation on good health is supported by the surprisingly relatively healthy lifestyles of hunter-gatherers. So, uh, today, in order to better understand some of the gospel perspective that I'll share on this topic, uh, I'm going to ask you to allow me to establish a common understanding of the secular history of the lifestyle of the people in the Paleolithic age. That way, I think I'll be able to better explain more of the gospel perspective on the topic. So, as I begin sharing with you how people lived back then... I'd like to ask you to imagine uh, this situation. Let's say for a moment that I have a golden ticket, except that being instead of whisked off to a suspicious chocolate factory where an eccentric singing loon tricks kids into injuring themselves, this ticket will instead whisk you back in time to the Paleolithic Age, the Old Stone Age, cave people, all that. The catch? It's a one-way ticket. And as I show you this ticket, I ask you, would you take it? Would you trade modern life for Paleolithic life? Normally, the response that I'd get from most students uh, I've taught was absolutely no. And I'll venture to guess that many listening into this podcast will probably feel similarly. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to do my darndest to convince you that you should at least be severely tempted to think about it, before you just dismiss this opportunity out of hand. So, consider first, for instance, that it was a lot quieter back then. Most humans in the Paleolithic age lived in really small groups, only about up to 15 people. Part of the reason for this is that hunting and gathering was how people survived back then. And the area where your group is based is only going to have a certain amount of resources you can live off of comfortably. So if you've ever felt intimidated by having to give a talk to your ward, I have good news for you if you take that ticket. These small groups were usually closely knit families, which for the large part actually seems to have comparatively healthier relationships than modern families. Cooperation between individuals was much more important back then, as it wasn't a matter of who gets to play games on the flat screen TV today, so much as... It was, you know, uh, your brother is sick and dad's out hunting. Can you please get some herbs for Timmy? Now, 
Some of you may be shaking your heads and saying that only knowing 15 people for your whole life would be absolute torture. I get that. I just ask you to remember how you turned your nose up at this ticket the next time you are stuck in traffic for a half an hour or longer. Or when you are in any kind of line for a ride at Disneyland. Or when you want to get tickets for a show you've been dying to see, but when the website opens up at midnight for you to begin buying tickets, you discover that even though you were there for those very first crucial critical seconds, that an army of scalpers have already bought up the tickets for that show and now will only sell it to you for four times the price precisely because there's so many other people wanting the exact same thing you wanted. Who's regretting not taking my ticket now? Okay, all right. I might be overselling that point there. Uh, and you might still not be entirely convinced. Okay, well, let me ask you this then. How much do you like pandemics? Because uh, guess what? No pandemics in the Paleolithic age. If some random person on the other side of the world decides to extend the five-second rule to a five-day rule and then becomes patient zero for paleo-COVID, guess what? You'll never even hear about it. When people are living in that small groups, not one single disease doesn't really have the chance to affect humanity as a whole. But, you know, if you enjoyed lockdowns, toilet paper hoarders, face masks, and the general feeling that the whole world is going mad, be my guest. Don't take my golden ticket. Stay here and enjoy the feeling of knowing that another pandemic could happen at any time. Okay, all right, all right. So, you think you can luck your way out of another pandemic, and crowds don't bother you as much. Well, how do you like the typical modern work week, which, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics and Statista, uh, expects about uh, 40 hours a week? Because if you're under the impression that foraging for your food would be tougher than running the rat race, uh, you'd be wrong. Hunting and gathering took less time. Actually, half that time. Because newsflash, hunting and gathering to support your family adequately in the Paleolithic era likely only took about 20 hours per week. For those of you who work for someone else, can you imagine going up to your boss right now and asking for a 50% reduction of your work hours with no reduction in pay? Because that's effectively what you'd be doing if you took my golden ticket to the Paleolithic era. But but go ahead, I'm sure that foraging for nuts and berries or spending your entire life hunting game would be much more difficult than having to deal with rude customers, workplace politics, going to mandatory trainings, the bureaucracy inherent in most of corporate America. Need I go on? Oh, uh, but let's not forget that by taking my ticket to the Paleolithic age, you also have a much higher chance of never struggling with obesity. Human bodies for tens of thousands of years were, after all, engineered to survive on locally harvested goods in moderate amounts. Admittedly, one drawback I would struggle with is that they ate a lot less meat, uh, except uh, for in the colder regions, of course. Uh, so uh, most of what you'd be eating would be nuts, fruits, vegetables, and berries. Think of how happy we could make all our mothers if we ate more stuff like that. Additionally, because we are actively foraging for food, we live in a pretty physically active lifestyle by default. No need to go through the pain of uh, signing up for a gym membership that will cost you too much money for the too little time you ultimately spend there, 
and the too much frustration of having to try to get out of said gym membership only to repeat the same sad process each January when you tell yourself that this year will be my year. And uh, to those who think that going back to the Paleolithic age might mean living in a backwards culture, might I just say, ha, there is actually quite a bit of evidence to suggest that in addition to some of the gorgeous cave art like what we see in Lascaux, France, and in many other places in the world, gender relations might have been much more equal. This is supported by the fact that in many modern hunter-gatherer societies, men and women have a much more equal say in what happens in their communities than in most other modern communities. Now, why might this be the case? Some anthropologists uh, suggest that because both women and men have specific and necessary responsibilities that they fill towards sustaining their families, they just naturally have that uh, buy-in to any decisions made in their communities. But if you enjoy all the modern-day arguing about chauvinism, feminism, equal pay, etc., that's okay. Just don't take my ticket. Also, don't take my ticket if you enjoy stressing about mortgage payments, student debt, retirement funds, or anything else to do with money, because there wasn't any money in the Paleolithic age. And if your favorite part of a Thanksgiving dinner is arguing about politics with family, don't take my ticket, because there's no formal government of any kind in the Paleolithic age. Not much point to that if you're just a small group of families working for each other's collective survival. Antisocial behaviors back then weren't punished with jail time. Offenders to the common good would simply be just left behind, exiled from the group. Good luck surviving on your own. And that's really all the legal system you'd ever really have to deal with. So if you absolutely love the idea of lawyers, courts, and the fighting and bickering we see amongst leaders of the nation and the world today, be my guest. Don't take my ticket. This is usually the point at which I'd ask students again to show me by raise of hand how many of them had changed their mind. And uh, a number of them would. But uh, other students would point out some things about the Paleolithic era that I intentionally left out uh, up until this point. So, uh, sorry, I am a mischievous person by nature. Uh, I like to stir up trouble if I can. But it does turn out that life in the Paleolithic era wasn't actually always sunshine and roses. So first off, despite the healthier sounding diet we had back then, the longest most people could expect to live on average would be about 40 years. That and foraging wasn't always a reliable source of food. Bad weather, climate change, or the arrival of a competing clan really could endanger your food sources. And yet, even with some of those difficulties in mind, there are a number of aspects of Paleolithic life that have really impressed me. So consider for a moment that many of these discoveries of Paleolithic life have only been made relatively recently within the past century. And yet, somehow, a century before we knew many of these secrets of health, Joseph Smith received this revelation that was originally known as the Lord's Law of Health. See if any of this lines up with what we know of the Paleolithic Age. And I'll read here uh, from that revelation. And again, verily I say unto you, all wholesome herbs God hath ordained for the constitution, nature, and use of man. Every herb in the season thereof and every fruit in the season thereof. All these to be used with prudence and thanksgiving. Yea, flesh also of beasts and of the fowls of the air I, the Lord, have ordained for the use of man with thanksgiving. Nevertheless, they are to be used sparingly. 
and it is pleasing unto me that they should not be used only in times of winter or of cold or famine. All grain is ordained for the use of man and of beasts to be the staff of life. And all saints who remember and keep to do these sayings, walking in obedience to the commandments, shall receive health in their navel and marrow to their bones, and shall find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures, and shall run and not be weary, and shall walk and not faint. Now, of course, that's not the whole section on the Word of Wisdom, and I invite you to take a look at it for yourself in Doctrine and Covenants section 89. But this excerpt in particular took on a new resonance with me as I studied hunter-gatherer societies during my college years. For thousands of years, Homo sapiens was grown on a diet exactly like what we find in this section. The DNA we have inherited comes from rigorous testing and natural selection from those hundreds of thousands and thousands of years of hunting and gathering. Little wonder that our modern eating trends of convenience, fast food, and addictive sugary treats don't agree well with our bodies. In fact, our Stone Age bodies are actually doing what they think is the right thing to do when we overfeed them. They stock up. Your body doesn't know yet that it's in the 21st century. It doesn't know that starvation likely isn't just right around the corner. It treats a caloric surplus as a chance to stock up against hard times when you wouldn't be able to find enough food. Hence, most of the issues our modern society has with obesity and its related chronic diseases. Now, I should be careful to uh, mention a disclaimer here. I eat donuts. I eat chocolate. I occasionally dabble in a little high fructose corn syrup now and then. Fortunately for me, and anyone else out there with a caveman stomach like mine, this portion of the Word of Wisdom isn't on the Temple Recommend uh, list of uh, questions. However, for me personally, after years of teaching this history, knowing full well that my diet wasn't lining up like I wanted it to, uh, with what I knew was right for me. I did finally decide to change things around. I dieted, I exercised, and I went down from 235 pounds at the start of last year to about 190 pounds uh, today, which for a six foot uh, one guy, that's uh, much healthier uh, for me. And I am feeling much better about myself and I'm sleeping much better and have a world of difference in the energy that I have to go about my day. And I won't pretend that I have gotten my health down perfectly yet. I am still fine-tuning what I do, but I am trying. Another key insight uh, that I've learned from the Paleolithic Age, how critical can we say families are to society? That has been the backbone of our species for hundreds of thousands of years. And yes, I do understand that not all family situations right now are ideal for people. But how much more urgent is it that we nurture uh, the family relations that we can and that we uh, do have? Family isn't just a spiritual birthright. It's also a biological need written right into our DNA. Is it any wonder that the adversary is working overtime to make people feel more alone and isolated today than they ever have before? In fact, it's gotten so bad that the National Institute of Health has declared loneliness an epidemic unique to modern society. Perhaps it's high time we reconsider how much of priority our families or uh, our clans have become. And consider again that difference in work hours between now and the Paleolithic age. How often in general conference have we been advised to not run faster than we have strength? Work is and should be a priority. And in most cases, it isn't going to be possible to work less than a 40-hour week, unfortunately. 
And yet, we should seek moderation in all things. Christ taught us that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Careers and work life are important, but they should not take priority ahead of family. After all, when all is said and done, will children in a family remember better the money that their parents earned for them or the time that they spent with them? And how much can our modern society learn from the relationship between men and women during this time? It is really difficult to find another time in history when people better lived according uh, to this teaching from Paul in the New Testament. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. And that's uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 11, uh, for those of you out there keeping track. Men and women are equal partners with distinct divinely appointed differences, but neither stands superior over the other. We are both meant to be a help meet to each other. In this, I think President Gordon B. Hinckley, the prophet of my childhood, is an exemplar. Of his wife, he said, I see my own companion of 52 years. Is her contribution less acceptable before the Lord than is mine? I am satisfied that it is not. She has walked quietly by my side, sustained me in my responsibilities, reared and blessed our children, served in many capacities in the church, and spread an unmitigated measure of cheer and goodness wherever she has gone. The older I grow, the more I appreciate, yes, the more I love, uh, this little woman with whom I knelt at the altar in the house of the Lord more than a, a half century ago. A close quote. And there is so much more that I could share about what we could learn from the Paleolithic age, but because I don't want to have these episodes go on for too long, I think I'd rather want to hear from you. What's your thoughts? Are there better ways of living or thinking from this time that our modern day society would do well to implement? Or what things might you be grateful for that we have now that humanity didn't have back then? Uh, or uh, what other gospel principles do you see at work during this period of history? And that brings us to the close of our discussion on the Paleolithic Age. Stay tuned for the next episode where we will explore what some historians have termed to be the single greatest mistake in all of human history, the Neolithic Revolution. Do you have a comment or a question about something I shared in the episode? Go ahead and leave us a voice message if you're using the Spotify platform. And if not, feel free to leave a review or a comment as your selected podcast listening platform allows. I would like to thank everyone who has supported the launch of this podcast, including my lovely wife, my kids, and my loving brother-in-law, Spencer, for suggesting that I go through with this idea. And again, thank you for listening, and stay safe out there. <laughs>